businesses running, our employees are safe, um, making sure that we're escalating any issues and how are we partnering more proactively together um, than reactively. And so being very thoughtful in, in having those forward-facing conversations as opposed to the backward-looking conversations. Welcome everyone to WorkPod. Uh, today we have with us two interesting executives uh, leading HR organization at a very interesting um, areas. And uh, we have with us Jen Congdon. She is a Chief Human Resource Officer for EcoBed Technologies. And uh, Regina Johnson, uh, who is a CHRO at MarketCast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, friend. So, so uh, Jen, um, why don't you uh, and Regina, you uh, walk us through your journey, like what brought you to this world, wonderful world of HR, and just walk us through your journey. That would be awesome. Sure. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, um, I, I may have started in the HR HR world a little a little differently than a lot of people. I was a communications major at James Madison University and mass communications, working behind the cameras, you know, for television stations and found out that you actually don't make any money in that line of work. But having a communications degree and doing a lot with journalism, I found myself um, very early on working internal at a temporary agency and was able to leverage asking questions to get to the point of truth right through that through the interview process. So it was somewhat directly applicable, but a little bit of an unconventional way um, to get into HR um, had had um, a wide variety of different organizations that I've worked for, from the disk drive uh, business early on with Maxor Corporation to Cisco Systems, um, both in Colorado and in Texas. Had my own company for a while. Worked at Honeywell Aerospace, um, and then you know went kind of skirted left a little bit and went into the water industry. And so I worked for um, two different water companies. One was Xylem, which basically was everything from when, where water enters a building, goes through the building and leaves the building. And the other was with Watts Water Technology, um, which also was kind of more on the, on the plumbing side, but it's also our most precious resource. And those two, those two businesses in particular, right, with um, a heavy focus on sustainability, uh, is what led me to my current role at Ecobat, where we actually are one of the world's largest recyclers of lead and lead alloy products. And so we make sure that the lead acid batteries actually go back into cars and go back into other ways of, of life as opposed to, you know, in, in the landfill, right? So we recycle about 98, over 98% of, of the battery, but a variety of different, different experiences through all of those different organizations from, you know, not only a recruitment and, and talent and development, but you know, executive coaching and org design and change management. Um, did, a, did a segue when I was at Honeywell with a step back into the business on our operating system and how do you drive change and ask questions at point of impact right, to really help improve business performance. And so you know, I've had a, a, a vast um, array of experiences from very large public companies to startups to um, you know just uh, private equity now where I, where I am. And so it's been it's been a fun journey and got my executive MBA from Thunderbird along the way in international business. And so you know every role I've had has been global global in nature. Good that is an amazing background, can I just say. Um, such rich experience in so many really pivotal industries um, that are kind of leading the way, whether it's been in tech, um, you know, like you said, also in areas of, you know, um, you know, kind of really, you know, earth friendly and environmental capabilities. I mean, these are such important, um, you know, ways if we think about work and contributions, right, to the community and the globe. So feel a little bit of a kindred spirit in the diversity of your backgrounds. <laughs> Thank um, you. So, so Vishal, just to, um, and the audience, just for a little bit of, of my background, um, I was not also kind of, you know, it, uh, thought of HR as my initial career. I had um, studied psychology, who was preparing to really go into uh, medicine and biotech research, and I did that for a little while um, before moving um, into human resources um, in during dot com. So right at, at at the heart of two thousand. 
And my first you know, foray um, into human resources was within recruiting and talent acquisition. And I had this wonderful opportunity at Bank of America to um, learn about how to bring people on board, both um, within the campus recruiting efforts, going to universities and connecting with students um, who are graduating in their programs, but also really learn about the professional side and how to bring in experienced hires into the organization as they were growing. And I got my first foray into that within the Global Corporate Investment Bank. Um, within Bank of America, they had just acquired Montgomery Securities and they were looking to expand their investment um, banking capabilities, you know, a, as a broader global organization. And I was at Bank of America for, you know, roughly around uh, a total of around eight years, um, both in recruiting, talent acquisition. Then I really got into analytics and really kind of geeked out on a lot of data that um, they had in various projects. Um, I also then became a bit of a generalist and really focused in with the businesses and transforming, supporting our treasury organizations, helping them build out captives um, globally in India, also really kind of helping our technology organizations rethink the banking experience. So I was really fortunate to be there um, at a time where there was lots of growth, lots of acquisition, but also a lot of transformation that was really happening there. And my experience actually within diversity, equity, and inclusion really was at the start at Bank of America, who had what I called um, a really kind of um, you know progressive practice um, around how to um, think about talent holistically, um, bringing in lots of candidates from diverse backgrounds, perspectives, educations, um, and experiences to really kind of bring a rich um, culture to the bank. Um, from there, I moved into various other um, organizations, large and small. I started to get into big data um, and analytics companies at a, a company called CoreLogic, which is a global firm. And then I, as a CHR, I got my first foray um, in the telematics automotive industry with a company called Spirion, which was really fascinating because they were really working on um, capabilities around driverless car technology and pretty much any type of data that you can imagine within a vehicle, you know, whether it's a car, motorcycle fleet. Um, and then I got uh, back into financial services, um, you know, within the asset management industry and helped them transform. Um, they were being disrupted by technology and worked with their organizations, you know, to be able to kind of pivot, right, in the new future of work. And then here I am currently in my new organization at MarketCast, which is such a fascinating organization with market research that really looks at how to be able to generate insights around all things fandom. So things that people care about, whether it's concert, sports, movies, entertainment, um, you know, travel, food, you name it. We really provide a lot of insights to our clients as well as into the communities that we serve around what's most important. So bringing the voice right to um, individuals around what they care about. And what I love about the organization is, is that it's a wonderful myriad of a blend of research as well as the new technologies, data science and artificial intelligence to really expand um, out on kind of the decision making um, and the thought capabilities within the organization. So I'm also an avid um, you know, advocate as it relates to diversity and inclusion. I'm a, a board member of the Moxie Exchange. I'm also an advisory board member for Cal State Fullerton. Um, my passion is to ensure that we're you know, helping to build our future leaders um, you know, kind of across the globe you know, as we think about this planet, make sure we've got sustainable leadership going forward. Um, so that's a nutshell a bit of my background and career in HR. I, I can only imagine how much COVID has impacted your market data research in your in your current role, right? Especially when you're talking about all all things kind of almost leisure and being out there in travel and you know dining and you know movies, et cetera. And yet, then you know, last year with with COVID, I can only imagine um, the new the new normal of research in those spaces. That's so spot on, Jen, and you're right. I mean, it's amazing what our clients um, had to, you know, work through and navigate through when we thought about COVID. Um, you know, the, you know, uh, restaurant industries, as we know, you know, closed down, We, you know, and had to kind of really th think and shift and pivot. We saw the same thing with theaters, right, and film moving from in-person, um, you know, watching of movies, you know, at theaters, you know, to then moving more into streaming. Um, and now they're, they're looking at how they kind of shift back into that new normal. And then you think about sports as an example, or even concerts and, you know, how sports had to kind of hunker down for a bit and really rethink. 
a lot of our clients really use this as an opportunity to say, okay, you know, if we think about what the future may look like and what people really care about, this is a real opportunity for us to really kind of, you know, get dig deeper and start to understand, you know, what's going to be top of mind for them and what's most valuable, what's most important. So we've been really fortunate to be able to partner with them, um, you know, along that journey as they've been going through it. So I think so. One thing that was pretty interesting. Um, I I remember I was talking to someone eight 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 nine years back about an HR leader, and I think, and they were talking about how HR is an uh, industry filled with in, uh, traditionalists. Just, there are a lot of HR people. It's like a lineage of HR folks. They are producing the so it just it's just a supply chain of HR people. And then and and there was there was talk about the struggle of and getting companies in shape with this new mindset unless you have new talent and i think it's fascinating to see both of you are coming from a different industry to hr uh, fixing hr so uh, would you li- love to uh, like to talk about um, how welcoming was that this field to you and what are some of the challenges that you faced uh, if you can walk us through that and maybe jen you can go first if you want to yeah yeah no problem it's it's interesting in so far as you know, if you if you look at HR historically, it was the Office of Personnel Management, and I don't want to speak on behalf of Regina, but I know that I did not go into HR to you know push paper and to you know be in the Office of Personnel Management. And I'm going a little bit full circle here with my current company because it was privately held for so long, and the you know all of the different functions were um, de- completely decentralized. This is the first time in the 40 some odd years that the business has been around that they actually have a C-suite in place, right? That we've just hired all within like the last six months. And so um, changing, actually we're going back and trying to change that shift of what it, what does HR look like and what should it look like in, in the business and how do you partner differently and how do you bring in diversity of thought and you know really change that, that paradigm. Um, but most of the companies that, that I've had the, the you know, pleasure and privilege of working at, especially with like a, a Cisco systems in the early 2000s when they were cutting edge on HR practices and changing the paradigm to, and, and really thinking outside the box to, to a company like Honeywell where it, it's all about, you know, how do you, how do you really um, drive process improvement? And they were, they were so good at that. So being able to couple you know, both that creative out of the box thinking with that process orientation and continuous improvement mindsets to to help um, move the needle and push the HR function forward uh, has been a fantastic opportunity for me. And so because of those experiences, I think that I've been even more welcomed into the different organizations that I've been part of because I'm not a traditionalist. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't necessarily do things the, the way that, you know, the, that, that traditional companies or traditional HR organizations um, have have looked at at the role, right? It's been a lot more around asking the tough questions, being Socratic, um, thinking through different lenses, you know, and, and the biggest compliment I get is when I go out to a manufacturing facility, because most of the businesses I've been in have been, you know, somewhat heavy, heavy industrial or industrial organizations, is going out on the line and asking people on, people different questions relative to how can how can they improve that process that doesn't look safe did you notice this and they're looking at me they're like but you're in HR you're not allowed to ask those questions <laughs> right they weren't mm-hmm. expecting that um, and so I, I think that's a that's a big part of that shift of what you know what HR leaders you know can and should be doing in the organization and and I have, have found myself being very welcomed with that different lens Regina, I'm not sure what your experiences have been around that. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jen. I think, you know, coming into Bank of America as, as an organization, they were very much more um, similar to Jen's experience, you know, with, with Cisco and Honeywell. These were organizations that really believed in strategic HR, that there was a business partnership there, that you were a business steward first and you had HR tools, right, at your disposal to help the organization think through the human capital challenges. So, you know, I felt really privileged to be able to have my first foray and my first real true experiences in HR with that company and organization. And that really shifted when I thought about my future opportunities, you know, where where was I gonna be passionate about being able to, to work and being able to contribute? And what I would say is that consistent theme has been with organizations that, you know, have a high regard for HR, both on 
how we get things done on the operational side, but also really valuing the strategic nature of the work and making sure that HR really truly has a seat at, at the table and is a voice, right, of the executive leadership team and is, and is actively engaged. And so, you know, for me coming in um, with my background, they valued, right, that I had, you know, you know, understood research principles and practices that I had a bit of a quantitative mind that I worked, you know, in, you know, areas of, of business before coming into the practice. And then they cultivated that and supported that, you know, when I continued on in my education, you know, with an HR, when I got my master's in organizational management. So all of those things I felt was really about, I call it co-creating and also co-supporting, right, around my, my career and ability to contribute you know, in the way, in a non-traditionalist way as it relates to human resources. And what I would also say is, while there is still, you know, attributes of a, a you know, traditional core operational um, capabilities, which will always be a part and a, a facet of HR, I do think, um, you know, over, I would say the past 10 to 15 years, there's been a real support and a build out both within education as well as within businesses to ensure that HR has a, a bit more of a thought leadership and more strategic, you know, role to play. Um, and I'm seeing that even within, you know, startups and, and companies that would have traditionally, you know, thought of a traditionalist model, they're already, you know, thinking strategically and saying, hey, maybe we outsource those capabilities and then we build our talent in-house for the strategic capabilities that we need as it, as it relates to HR. So, like I said, my, my experience was very positive, very welcoming, um, and what I felt the, feel the industry has been doing is continuing to evolve, you know, in, into that space of more strategy. Um, yeah. Regina, I, I couldn't agree more. And if you think about some of those traditionalist types of roles, like recruitment or like um, total rewards, yeah. the interesting thing with those is that while the fundamentals are still there and, and you know, kind of the how um, requires some of those original skill sets, the way that we're doing, the way that we're leading those those roles in organizations and in companies is completely different today as well, because they're having to be a lot more creative on how do we retain and attract talent. You know, what what does our total reward strategy look like for an organization that um, you're finding you know scarcity of people that want to you know be in the trades as an yeah. example for for us right? where parents are telling their kids don't go into that industry right i want you to get a college degree not everyone was meant to have a college degree right and and that they can apply different skill sets and make a lot of money right doing that but how do you how do you take those traditional hr roles and help them really think more creatively right on helping to drive the business results and so while there's still that fundamental core um, knowledge, skill set, making sure, you know, from a compliance perspective, there are certain things that you're always going to have to do, but the way we do it, I think, is is becoming more and more different every day. I agree with you, and I, to add to that, I also think the, the voice of HR shaping policy process and how those things get done is is what's also really exciting to see in those in those areas as well. Um, I, I think about you know like you said with total rewards, people are really you know thinking differently, more agile method based methodologies as the workforce becomes let's say a little more fluid, a little more agile as it relates to roles, and they're they're finding ways to create um, you know reward and retention mechanisms to fit that. Whereas you know probably two decades ago, that would have never happened, right? We would have had these very rigid kind of, you know, structures that wouldn't have been able to be malleable and to kind of grow and flex the way that the business would need. You can't pay at the 75th percentile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas really what they want is put me on a project and let me do a project for three months and then give me a month off, right? right. And then they'll put me back on another project. <laughs> exactly. So I think on, on, on that note, so... Um, I love to know your perspectives on what future of work means to you. So when you think about this word, and I think it's it's maybe this word is overused or or, or still we're not there yet. But what does future of work means to you? If you can walk, uh, if you can give your perspective. Why don't you start with that, Regina, and I'll I'll pick it on the back end. <laughs> So, in, in my opinion, the future of work is already here. Um, we have been experiencing the really significant changes around how work is essentially going to be done and what are the types of roles that are going to be critical um, now and also in the future. Um, you know, we found technology is a significant contributor 
to how we are more efficient, um, you know, new ways in which work can get done. And it's also opened up different capabilities um, in terms of access to data, how that then shapes and informs, um, you know, services and things that, that we have to the table. Oh. All right, can you still see me? Yeah, you're still there. Okay, perfect. Something happened. <laughs> I'll continue talking until this this um, takes place. Um, but what I would tell you is is that you know we are already seeing a shift in which um, you know certain skills um, are continuing to broaden. You know we're seeing people who you know would have historically, let's say, if they came up in the social sciences, needing to have a better attribute and understanding of technology. Um, we're seeing where technology permeates um, every role, as an example. And we're also seeing, as it relates to automation and efficiencies there, that you know the ability to understand the technology and manage it, right? Those are new roles that are kind of coming to the forefront. And believe it or not, there are actually going to be a significant portion of jobs that don't exist today that will exist in the future. And so that's created also a significant shift in terms of what it means around education what it means for companies on how they're going to effectively um, develop these skills over time and build those skills and make them available, right? Um, so that we can train our future, you know, constituents, you know, to be ready and capable in the future of work. So as an HR practitioner, from my vantage point, we're thinking about what that means within our business today. And so when we think about, you know, the augmentation of data science and capabilities and bringing in technologists that understand attributes around AI, as well as then doubling down, right, on our research capabilities and content with the traditional methods, those two things are going to marry and ensure we're bringing the best forward as it relates to insights. And then as we think about our operation capabilities, we're driving in more technology-focused um, and, and operationally focused folks, and we're building out our development capabilities to be able to support that, you know, for any of our individuals who, you know, want to continue to expand to learn and grow. Yeah, and it's it's um, it's a little different, I think, in some regards in in industry, right? And by industry, I mean heavy industrial manufacturing, where yes, you have robots that can do some processes, but they can't do all of it. Right, where where is still going to take that that human being that's that's out there in these environments that aren't necessarily um, the most conducive environments to uh, people loving what they do every single day, and so it's really important, you know, as we think about future work for those employees, what are those other things that we can give them, and what are those other um, um, trying to think of what the right word is, but other experiences that we can that we can that we can give them. Um, Technology will certainly play a role in in some of um, some of the manufacturing processes, but it won't necessarily remove um, remove that the human from it. And I don't think that's what Regina was saying at all. And, and she's one hundred percent right. Where with this technology comes new jobs, right? So every time you're inventing a new robot, there's you know how many robotics engineers do we have that are out there that can help you know make and manufacture that 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 type of equipment. Um, conversely, you know, as, as we look at the technology that we're making, you know, at my, at my prior company, it's a, how do we make water smart? How do you make it smarter? How do you put chips in valves so that you understand what your consumption is, which is not how people traditionally thought, um, but it takes different, different um, types of individuals to be creative and think about how do you do that? Um, so technology certainly certainly plays a part. Data science certainly plays a part, and I think the you know part of that future of work. We're in a really interesting uh, paradigm right now, I believe, where we are multi generational within a company that we haven't seen before. Right? You've got people that are transitioning out from from Gen Xers, you know, to the baby boomers that are still actually you know in the workforce, all the way to you know the 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 current. Um, generation of, of talent that's in the organization. So you really have to be able to span that across um, how you manage, how you lead, how you engage, how you motivate. It's very different in it within within your own same four walls of a of a traditional organization. Interesting. And, and, and Jen, I'm, I'm curious to uh, learn something very critical and, and Jen, you can jump in as well. So uh, performance versus learning. 
so uh, mm-hmm. and i'm coming from the data end so i i'm pretty much tainted with some bias here and and definitely you will help me understand how to translate this into people so in in the in the ai world so we always are paranoid about incentivizing a wrong information and that would become a kind of a norm right so basically ai has this tendency of getting a populism and ramping it up and then we all sort of reacting to that information now if we draw a similar a parallel line in the in the people world right so we see that uh, evolution is happening we see skills like life span is shrinking we we see that it's very like when you have so much shift in the lnd landscape how do you measure the performance of a worker like how do you and and as a, as an hr leader how do you come um, balance the two because that's to a to a data scientist that's a nightmare or for to an ai engineer that okay if i if i go too much on performance i may be incentivizing wrong information and if i'm going too much on lnd then um, then there is definitely not too much incentive to be for someone to be consistent so right. what's your take yeah you know i think it, I, i it's a really interesting um question right as you think about what's the role of performance in learning and in career growth and you know i was i'm i'm currently interviewing for my total rewards candidates and no i'm not putting out a selfish plug out there but i am looking for my total rewards leader <laughs> you know? um i was i, I you know I was, i was asking that question in some of the interviews right relative to you know what is performance management look like today and and I want to completely blow it up because I think if you look at the traditional way of driving performance and you know learning and career growth is so different and it goes back to my earlier comment on being multigenerational I think that we need to from a performance from a performance perspective you know for those that are early in career they need daily feedback right they want daily feedback send them a text hey you're doing a great job right they want that positive affirmation early on and they want to know that they're moving they're they're moving the needle forward for those that are a little bit um further along in their career more mid career right they're they're looking for give me that quarterly feedback give me the big goals give me the big objectives what am i driving to if i'm off track let me know that i'm off track don't let too much time go but you know give give me some slack let me do things a little bit <laughs> you know let me let me work at my pace to get to where we need to go and then you have then you've got people that that are sunsetting their careers right that are like hey i want the feedback i don't have any i don't have any desire to go into that next role my annual performance review is is absolutely fine with me but i i i want the feedback i just don't necessarily need it on that frequent basis and then you look at people like regina and myself and other executives if we're not performing we're not going to be in our roles right and i know it's a little bit <laughs> you know that's very it's very easy we still want feedback but it's it's one of those things that 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 form formality of the process around performance and performance management becomes less critical at that at that point in our careers but early in career i think it's incredibly important and it's and it's shifting the 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 discussion from yes we have our goals and objectives that we that we know that we need to um accomplish to help drive business results but shifting that in a way of asking them questions around development and asking being more socratic in our approach and asking them you know how how could you impact or influence this this differently if you had the opportunity to to do this again what would you do different why would you do it different right to to get them to think in a different way and so you know for me i you know i i i think that the the traditional performance management process and performance review process needs to be completely turned on its head i think going to none isn't the right answer and i think maintaining one time a year isn't the right answer but i do think that it should be a blended approach and not one size fits all I agree with you Jen. I think, you know, um performance as a practice is is going through a bit of what I would like to call a renaissance, meaning that I think recognition that you know, as businesses are, you know, transforming and changing at, at a much faster pace than they 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 had in 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 generations prior, you know, the ability to how we think about development but also how we think about you know the the feedback loop um around performance you know is shifting right i think you know performance used to be about you know telling most times saying here's what you're doing right but also here's all the here's your laundry list of the things you're not doing right <laughs> that we want you to fix and i think you know the the conversations are shifting to you know yes what is the strategy but also how are we 
How are we succeeding around the outcomes around that strategy? And how are we having the conversations ongoing when that strategy shifts, right? Because we know if we set a three-year strategy, there are gonna be iterations even within year one and year two based on how things are, are moving forward with the business. And so those conversations are going to look different. They're not going to feel as static, right? You know, in that, that waterfall approach of where you have, here's our one-year goal, and then this quarter we hit this particular milestone, and this quarter we have to hit this particular milestone. It's becoming much more agile because, again, the environment, the dynamics are all influencing those things, and people are then shifting and course correcting real time. So I'm a big advocate with leaders talking to their people regularly. Novel concept. <laughs> have the conversation talk regularly talk about how you're doing but also in those conversations don't forget about the development i think that's the other thing in the performance discussions is you know it it you know it could be annually or quarterly and then the development conversation sometimes becomes lagging or, or doesn't necessarily happen the way that it should those things should be just as agile as you're having the performance conversation because that's your real-term opportunity to be able to say, okay, if something's happening here and the person's not quite, you know, um, you know, optimizing or generating the outcomes that you would like to see them in, that's a development moment. And, and managers and leaders need to come up with those, you know, concrete moments for that individual so that they're able to ensure the development's happening in an agile way, then you get to the better kind of outcomes around performance instead of thinking about this longitudinal type of strategy around development, thinking more actually and finding those near-term as well as long-term ways in which people can develop and grow so that you've got a good mix of performance outcomes as well as then developing for those future roles. Yeah, there, there are two, two expressions that I like to use a lot. One is catch, you know, catch people in the act of doing the right thing and catch them in the act of when they're, when they're not. Right? And the second being feedback is a gift. You can't do anything with it if you don't have it. And once you have it, it becomes a personal choice. Right, And you can choose whether you're going to act on that or you're not going to act on that. But I mean, that's been my, my mantra for a very long time. And you could probably go to any business leader I've worked with in the past and say, hey, what did Gen Z feedback is? It'll be like a gift, <laughs> you know, whether, whether they want it or not. But, but it, it is those frequent conversations. It's so important. And, it's, and, I, and I think a big mistake that a lot of leaders make is, and especially from a development perspective, is they make assumptions because someone is a role that they want to do a different role next, right? Within that same linear way of looking, as opposed to actually engaging in a conversation with an employee and say, what experiences do you want to have? Because you might have someone that's got a varied background, but you hired them into a role and you forgot all the other experiences that they have. And you know, from that development perspective and that performance perspective is ask them, engage them, talk to them, find out what they want to do, because you might actually have a rock star in the wrong role that would completely excel in someone else's succession plan. That's right. That's Interesting. right. So and, much and, 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 in an organization. Sorry, Vishal, what, what were you saying? Also, so I was thinking that how um, your perspective on how learning and performance goes hand in hand, like how um, the performance management um, landscape and learning and development when it comes to doing my job better, how are like over last uh, over this evolution of this transformational time of when when technology transformation is going on like how is their relationship uh, changed and maybe regina you can go first um, uh, and and jen you can follow, follow through so your perspective so i mean my opinion is is i think they were always interchange they were always intertwined i think the difference is is that you know I, I'm not certain businesses necessarily prioritized development in the same way that they would try to prioritize performance. And I think as we've started to see, you know, with the war on talent, talent shortages in many areas, there's a recognition of companies that they have to make these investments if they are going to ensure that they sustain, that they're able to continue to grow um, and optimize. And so, you know, there's, I think, a, a, a more emerging view around 
coupling those things so that you're building talent um, strategies and development strategies around the business strategy for growth, right? So really doing an inventory, you know, skills inventory of what you have today in your organization in terms of skills and what are the ones you need to build, you know, be able to build over time. Um, those then affect essentially, you know, how we think about what types of capabilities, skill sets that we're looking to really, you know, create within an organization. I would also say the development piece ties also into the culture, you know, of a company and the cultural attributes also determine, right, those learning strategies and how they align into performance. Um, ones that, you know, tend to want to, you know, focus in on, you know, agility, growth, um, then they're going to need to ensure that their plans as it relates to optimizing performance and development have that same level of agility and growth built into it in order to sustain those business strategies. So from my vantage point, very intertwined. I don't know. How about you, Jen? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, yeah I, would, I would add to it. So, you know, one, one thing that, that we make it a point to do and are very purposeful when we're talking about our strategic talent reviews, we're talking about what are our business goals and objectives? What are the talent implications to achieving those strategies? And what are those key experiences that people need to have to help us Move, move the needle right on our goals, on our business goals and our business strategy, but building that into their into their development plans of key experiences, right? And then if you think about kind of the traditional way of learning and development, I think it was it was very kind of one way. Here, go take this training class, right, and then never talk about it again. <laughs> right? I'm, being a, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but I, I think, you know, if you, if you put that continuous improvement mindset on, it's plan, do, check, act. All right, what's the plan that we're, that we're creating and developing for, um, for our employees to have those key experiences, to get those development needs? Have we engaged their manager in the why behind their employee, you know, going through this type of development need? And what type of questions and what type of coaching are we doing with those managers to make sure that they're asking the right questions of their employees after they have, they have participated in that development you know, project or initiative or training, and then apply going and applying, having the employee apply those skills. I think a lot of times where it falls short is, you know, managers are sending their employees to a, to a training or, or to get some type of development, and then they don't find a way for them to apply those skills back in their job or, you know, giving them those other experiences to leverage that newfound knowledge that they have, because why did we invest in them in this first place if we're not going to leverage, right, what they're learning um, in that process? And so, yeah, I, I think there are a couple of different, different lenses to look at the whole, you know, development cycle for our employees and ensuring, like Regina was saying, you know, it's tied to strategy and we're being very mindful and purposeful on, on what that development looks like for all of our employees. And oftentimes it's, don't forget to build that capability in those managers that are managing the employees that are actually going to the training, right? So it's kind of a two, four. So I think that's, that's, that's awesome. So uh, I was thinking of one conversation I had with this HR leader and he, I was uh, amazed by the word he, so he said, he used the word uh, learning diversity or, 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 so, so his his take was that now, if we look at the workforce as such, um, there is there is Gen Z, Gen X. So we have m many of these bands working together, on on on, and almost every of these band has a different taste when it comes to learning and develop. They have different, they like how they developed over the over the ages. They have used different techniques, different methodologies, and 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 he, and he was talking about how much of a struggle it's it is for for them to um understand this this learning diversity landscape which is a very interesting use of diversity by the way i've, I've heard but um, i'd love to know your point of view and maybe regina you can go first uh, like what what is what are you seeing and, and what's your take on this yeah and so you know like i said i think with learning being also in a bit of a renaissance I, believe it or not i think the principles of learning strategy learning theory has always known that people learn differently right that there are different ways in which people learn some learn by doing some are visual some are auditory um you know some like a bit of a hybrid approach then you talk about to your point vishal about the generational preferences so I think the thing as it relates to businesses and companies, um, many took what I would call a bit of a vanilla based approach. They would just kind of do the law of averages and say, 
we're just going to push this out and we we figure it'll cover probably 70 percent you know effectively and then the other 30 percent will we'll just kind of figure it out the challenge with that strategy is um you sometimes miss especially those high performers um, along the edges and you can potentially also stunt growth I think also as diversity and inclusion has come more on the scene, there's also a sense of learning around, um, you know, the ways in which, you know, even learning is facilitated and conducted and constructed. So the use of language even matters in how a person learns, um, you know, how it's facilitated can even have an implication. And so I think what companies now have to do, and this goes back to what I said about, you know, understanding the business strategy, the skills inventory, but also understanding your workforce, really deeply understand your workforce and also who you're trying to attract into your workforce. Those are your building blocks to say, okay, when we know this is the culture we want, this is the level of, you know, kind of the broad diversity that we, we want to have in the organization. We need to have learning capabilities that are going to be able to flex and meet people's needs. So this is why you see instances of micro learning coming on the scene, right? To be able to dress people who can learn very quickly and on the fly in a condensed format, still leveraging in-person instructor types of led learning because people still love to learn that way. The experiential learning, right? The, the key critical experiences we want to create and cultivate, but those experiences are now being thought about differently, right? It's, th it's not just thought about what type of um, capability we're looking to have them develop, let's say if they engage in a project, but it's also being very cognizant then around what that experience is even going to be within that project. And so I just think there's a, a more myopic focus in these areas, which is actually, in my opinion, very good because you're going to get to better outcomes of the development compared to doing the vanilla based and then not necessarily seeing the same level of kind of really good output or ROI in the development capabilities that were built by businesses. I think, yeah, I think that's, I, I, I couldn't agree more, right? It's absolutely spot on. And then you have the other, the added added challenge to that of, okay, how do you budget for that, right? And how do you show that you're going to, you're going to be able to connect to the masses? And I think that you don't always have to connect to all of the masses, but, but we do have to create an environment where people can learn and learn the way that they want to learn. And also, again, it goes back to asking and talking to our employees and asking them, how do you, how do you learn best, right? What is most important to you? You know, I found it to be really successful to do reverse mentoring, where you bring someone that's early in career and you pair them up with someone that's that's been around the block a while, and um, it's amazing how much they actually learn from each other, right? Where where you know, we're saying, hey, this is really for this for this uh, early in career person to to help their their um you know more more experienced uh manager or peer or or other employee um you know be better at communicating perhaps or navigating that, that landscape of the early and career employees and oftentimes i have found that both have benefited equally from it because you know, the early career employee is learning more about, oh, okay, now I understand why you are so valued in the organization and the experiences that you've contributed to it. And, you know, the, the more experienced person is like, oh, that's how I'm supposed to call it. I'll send you a text. <laughs> that's how that's how I can relate and communicate. And I don't mean to be uh, flippant, flippant about that, but it is, right? It's changing on the dime. And how are we creating that environment where people can learn, um, learn at the pace and, um, in, in ways and manners that, that make it most effective for everyone. I mean, Regina put it much more eloquently than I did, but it's it's absolutely spot on. We need we it's not it's not a peanut butter approach, and it needs to be a lot more tailored. Interesting. So um, let's let's talk about um, briefly last year, right? Yeah. So last year had been pretty interesting year for for many businesses. Um, how would and Jen, this is this applies to you. Um, so how do you, if you if you if you look at last year's um, basic progression, how do you rate it from the performance and uh, performance and uh, management point of view that when there is a lot of forces outside of your business influencing your business outside in, and you are basically told to sh basically um, um, survive through this 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 
experience how do you how do you uh, envision growth and performance in that mindset like walk us through some of the challenges and, and hacks and good uh, techniques that you have faced in uh, and Regina, you can join in i think there was so much growth and development for so many people in this last year right we'll, we'll start with that and i you know i think businesses learned a lot right about their employees about um the survival skills, right, and how employees actually really stepped up to the occasion where where I think a lot of, of traditional organizations that were very much, hey, you have to be in office, you've got to be in your office from eight to five to be able to perform the function of your job, um, was turned on its head, right, where they realized that, oh, wait a minute, people are still getting, getting work done. We're having to um, flex a little bit differently on how we're engaging our workforce. The use of technology has been incredibly helpful. And, and it's interesting you know, what we, we actually were talking to some of our employees about this and they're like, you know, when we had to work virtual because of COVID, I find that I'm actually working longer <laughs> right, hours than I normally would because I'm at home, my computer's there. Oh, you know, it's eight o'clock at night. Let me just go check and see if I got that email and let me go, you know, reach out to Europe or Asia or Africa right, and, and talk to talk to my employees. Um, but that that performance, the performance shift, I think really um, was more was a little bit more on the leaders and managers. And I'd be curious what your thoughts are on that, Regina. But it was how they had to adapt and modify their traditional stance of engaging their workforce. And I think that was a big part. It was more about engagement. How do I make them still feel that, you know, where they may feel trapped at home, who knows what their personal situation is, kids, kids, you know, homeschooling, the dog barking, right? Cooking, cooking dinner, doing whatever, whatever it is, you know, that that's the distractions of, of, of the home environment is helping them feel like they are still part of a community at work and to help them feel like, you know, that just because they're not sitting next to somebody that they're able to reach out in a different way with technology, um, being more purposeful in perhaps having more of those social conversations. And this is a part of development of those managers asking, you know, Regina, how are you? You know, are you doing okay? And then going into, into you know, work specific um, initiatives or, or things that are happening. And so, uh, I think it was a different. I think it was a different type of development that's occurred over the last year. I think that there's been a lot of trust and uh, trust in, um, or what's the right right way to say it? But just more credits, credits and debits, right, going out to the employees because they they're putting that one coin in and they're delivering a lot more as opposed to as opposed to taking it away. And and I think that we you know you can still give your employee employees those different experiences. Albeit more virtual, maybe you're maybe you're putting them on a different type of project team. Maybe you're you're thinking differently about the business. Um, but we also had all the different protocols, you know, within our facilities because we were at work, and we still had to manufacture our products. And you know, while while there might have been um, actually, it's kind of ironic when when people are driving their cars, they tend to need new batteries because their battery dies, right? If it's too hot, if it's too cold, there's lots of different, <laughs> different reasons that, that, keep, that keep us in, in business every day and having, having, to, having to perform. But it was really more about um, helping our employees adapt and modify to their new normal. Um, help, it's more, it was more with the coping, coping mechanisms. Right? It's more about the EQ than the IQ of, of what was happening in the, work, in the workforce. Regina, what, what, what have you experienced? Yeah, wholeheartedly, Jen. I think I think you nailed so many of those points. Um, you know, and I I was in two different industries, right? Current current one this year, so seeing the end of COVID, and then in a different different organization the prior year. And I can tell you that was that that organization was one that that loved their collaboration in person, and loved you know having that office environment. And so COVID was was something that really I think you know helped leaders one you know continue like you said to stretch both on their their own learning right learning new technology learning how to work at home learning how to lead their teams um you know in a virtual space when they had always historically really collaborated in person so there was lots of growth and to your point i think just stretching both on the the professional side and learning and development but i also think on the personal side one of the things that i was most i i think just so proud 
um, of what I got to see with, with leaders when they were going through this was a lot of leaning in into their own experiences and knowing how challenging it is, but being so vulnerable with their teams and their people to create those connections. Like you said, doing the check-in points, asking how they're, they're doing. You know, pre-COVID, it's not, it's not that they wouldn't necessarily do it, but there was always, there was, it was more formal. And in this, they were really just digging in to say, how are you doing? How can I help you? How can I support you? And that to me was really kind of showing the, the, the human side around how a company, you know, not only thinks about its client and, and also they were the same way with their clients, making sure their clients were okay, supporting their clients, asking is, was there anything else they could do beyond the traditional? And that I thought was, was, was such a beautiful moment to see that leaders were just making decisions to think outside of their traditional way in which they wanted to work and operate and say, we're going to be more human in this. And you know, we're still going to do strategy. We're still going to support our clients. We're still going to support our teams. But we're, we're going to really make the connections there because we know um, this is such a difficult, um, difficult time. And so, you know, what I'm, I think what I'm also most hopeful for when I think about what, what took place with COVID is how are our leaders, how is this, the business, business strategy taking those, right, and then implementing it into new strategies? And we're already seeing that. I think we're seeing lots of real innovation occurring. We're seeing lots of change and transformation and probably businesses that were really more stable that, you know, weren't probably looking to, to change and transform. And they're making a complete pivot. And I think that is the beauty of, of something that was really, really challenging, right, with the pandemic that, that affected us all, you know, immensely. And how people, individuals as well as companies are turning that into good and using that as an opportunity for growth um, to be able to, to show where they can grow and, and continue to sustain longer term. I think that, you know, another, another interesting part around that too was especially in a global a global environment right so we manufacture predominantly all over the actually this is the first company that i've worked for that hasn't had an operation in asia pacific right now but all my past ones did but our leaders having to be much more intentional around you know not sending that quick short email of actually saying dear so-and-so you know you know fill in the blanks sincerely right as opposed to you know from a north america you know centric way of us just shooting emails across you know not saying hi not saying goodbye not putting the proper closings in that's really and i don't know if you've experienced this regina but that has really reared its head in our environment where people are like why are you being so short with me and our leaders having to really stop and pause and you know, be more thoughtful in how they are communicating and being much more intentional in how they're communicating with their workforce. So I think indirectly, there was a lot of personal growth and development that happened for a lot of people over this over this last year. And, you know, hopefully in some cases, we're all for the better for it. I agree. Interesting. And, and um, learnings uh, from, from, from last year. So if suppose... Um, um, you want to, so many companies are reacting it differently. So we, we were talking to one of the HR leaders, they're making a, a pandemic task force. I don't know if they, that's overdoing it or if, whether it's underdoing it, but, but looking at, looking at uh, from your vantage point over whatever has happened uh, over the year where obviously transformation happened, but for the, for the different reason um, that no, not everyone is not sure of what is it good or bad for, for many of the businesses. So, had this thing um, or something else happen in the future, uh, God forbid. So how would you do it differently or how would you do it similarly? Did you get a chance to reminisce about uh, over the last year that what is, how would you would have done it better or, if, or, 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 or same? Like, do you have any, any thoughts on those? I, I think every pandemic is different. <laughs> Right. And so our reactions, right, are well, they're mostly right. And you know, our reactions to those um, are always going to be put to the test, uh, depending on what that you know what that current situation is. If it's something from an explosion to you know worldwide pandemic relative to to technology, you, know, you have earthquakes that happen all over the place that are completely disruptive, where technology isn't lending itself 
to 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 help them in that environment and so you have to you have to shift i do think that having some task force together you know with your hs and e you know, your health and safety leaders you know hr the business really sales marketing and we were very intentional and very purposeful on the people that we put together on the team because we wanted to make sure that we were thinking about the customer we wanted to make sure that we were thinking about our employees. We wanted to make sure that we we're delivering on the bottom line, right, where we, where we can do that. And having the right people in the room to have those discussions and to be more of those thought leaders on, okay, so if this happens again, um, to your point, you know, from an IT perspective, do we have enough equipment and technology? Have we procured enough that we're at the ready to give it to our employees to take home and have them be set up you know, in, in the proper environment, in their home, in their home environment, you know, would we do things differently perhaps around how we, how we encourage and motivate that quiet space at home, right? How we, what are the other resources that we would provide to our employees that need perhaps additional daycare or need, you know, need some homeschooling or need some, what are those resources that we can provide them proactively and just making it part of our new normal um, and, and even have that available in a non-pandemic situation so that it is even more fluid going forward. Regina, what are your, what are your thoughts? I agree, Jen, and I think that the, the only thing I would add is I think businesses understand they cannot take for granted if something like this happens again, how they factor this into their business strategy. Their, their, to your point, the, the ability to shift quickly, right? Making sure you've got the right technology in place so people can work, number one. You're diversifying, you know, your your, your products or so, solution orientation. If, you know, you're heavily concentrated in one part of the business and that one could be affected, you don't want to have all your eggs in that one basket, right? How do you, how do you then diversify more fully so that you can weather whatever that new storm could potentially be? Um, and then having, you know, really good, um, you know, kind of tiger teams or councils, et cetera, that can show that they can uh, act very quickly, right? If something does kind of come up and not only in terms of how they're thinking about it from the client perspective, but the people perspective, the regulatory perspective. And I think the last thing that I think some companies are really doing is they're now starting to pay a lot closer attention to the regulatory environment and and i think in some instances being more advocates in it where they hadn't before right where it was about compliance and now they're thinking wait a minute we need to be more active in this conversation um, because now that we've learned what this can do we we need to be more engaged i think i think uh, you know another thing that everyone can learn from this last one are all the different um, communication vehicles that we have available available yes. to ourselves and to our employees you know if you don't have access or if your your inter intranet or extranet you know systems aren't where where they should be you know every i don't know anyone today that does not have a cell phone of some sort right you know and that's global and it doesn't matter it really doesn't almost doesn't matter what walk of life that you're in somehow <laughs> somehow you got a cell phone right and being able to connect through technology differently to ensure that those open lines of communication are are always there and are always available and that we have a better sense of accountability for and where our our, our people are Interesting. And I, I'm, I'm curious to learn um, if you would say one thing that has really worked for you over the last year that you're you're thankful for that. OK, we I tried this and it just nailed on the head. So do you have such recollection? Do you have such thing that you could share? Yeah, I mean, I mean for us, you know, I, I, I think the one thing that we would replicate are, are having those having those touch points, right, those weekly, daily touch points with the leadership team to make sure that you know, the business is running, our employees are safe, um, you know, making sure that we're escalating any issues and how are we partnering more proactively together um, than reactively. And so being very thoughtful in, in having those forward-facing conversations as opposed to the backward-looking conversations. What types of things um, would, you, would you carry forward? Yeah, I agree with you, Jen. I think, you know, we did daily standups and that ability to be very quick and, and then execute off of anything that needed to take place in that day was, was critical. Um, and I think our leaders 
driving also those you know very direct connection points both individually with their teams but also finding ways to create those connection points um, more deliberately um, and more regularly in frequency i think was something we want to continue to make sure that is just part of who we are and continues in our in our culture and organization i know one of the one of the fun things that we did relative to you know, improving that communication and the connectivity, you know, we would do Thursday happy hours, you know, mm -hmm. virtually on Zoom calls, everyone had a glass of wine or a scotch or whatever it was that your, your, your drink of choice was or water or whatever. And just, again, it was not focused on the business at all. It was focused on, on everyone as humans. Right? That's good. Yeah. And you can't beat can that. Um, the, we also had um, like, you know, virtual bingo or other types of like just fun games to kind of trivia just to get to know each other, et cetera. And Vichal, I still think you have that that error with your audio, unfortunately. You no, know, I, I was just sending him a chat on that. <laughs> it's almost it's like uh, from a sci-fi movie. <laughs> you know, I, one one um, thing that my the former CHRO that I had worked for at Xylom on the water side, you know, she has now moved on and she's the CHRO at Comscope. Um, in North Carolina, they actually, you know, with all the, the pressures and, and tensions of what's happening in, in the world, the environment, they actually brought on a comedian um, to one of their global HR calls, who was a very, a very clean comedian, but yes. they said that the, uh, the number of thank yous and, oh my God, that was so fantastic and it was so great because it was just something that was just out there, random, a little different and was really, really well received by the, by the workforce of the organization. So I think being, you know, some of the things that we can learn from this also is how can we be more creative? How can we create fun in the environment in such a stressful, a stressful time? That's absolutely right. And like you said, helping people to think about ways to reduce their stress, you know, um, giving access to that it is so key, right? Because not only does that ensure it kind of breaks up the day, but more importantly, they're actually going to be more effective and more productive, right? Because they've been able to release whatever that tension is and be able to then kind of refocus and re-engage, you know, more fully in work. And, there's, and there certainly was more... Um, focus in this last year on health and wellness yes. and mental mental wellness and making sure that that you know we're providing different avenues and resources for our employees and reminding them that we you know that you have things like the employee assistance programs and that you have things of you know we created some buddy systems in other parts of the world where they, they were fully trained but if someone wanted to come and have a conversation with them because things weren't going very well that they could actually have a conversation with someone um even even at work, and I know it's a, it's a little bit um, outside of the norm, especially since they're not necessarily fully trained professionals on, in that regard, but they just wanted someone to talk to, yeah. right? And so creating these these vehicles, these mechanisms for for people to reach out and know that, that there are people that care on the other side of it and want to help, um, you know, along with the community involvement and our, and our responsibilities as organizations to be a good corporate citizen I think it has um, continued to shift in awesome. this pandemic as well. Yeah. We're almost at the tail end of the conversation. So we ask all of our guests to talk about some qualities that has helped them shape what they are today. Like what are basically your secret to your success? So what are some of the qualities that has really helped you be what you are today? What would you, what would you those attribute those qualities? And Jen, you can go first. I mean, for me, for me personally, I would say it's transparency and humility, right? I am, I am the first person that will laugh at myself and I am the first person that will take full ownership for something that I've done wrong or something that I've done right, you know, but, but typically it is around giving credit to the teams. Um, it's about being engaging and asking questions and being present as opposed to being on the periphery. Yeah, well said, Jen. I think, you know, for me, to your point, active listening, I think is key. Um, just being present is is also really important. Um, I also feel just always being curious, always wanting to learn and seeking additional information I have found has helped me um, be more effective. Um, being curious has caused me to learn. It also ensures that I, back to your point, Jen, stay humble. You know, that I, there's things I just, I still don't know and I'm still learning. And I think those things have helped me over the years 
um, you know, and, and how I do the work myself, but also how I collaborate with others, partner with the business, partner with my team, elevate my team and develop my team. All of those things, I think, you know, with that essence, and the last one I would say is resilience and having a sense of humor. I think, yeah. you, I think in HR, if you do not have a sense of humor, it's going to be really tough. I completely agree on the sense of humor. I, and I guess the one other, the one other um, attribute that I would add to it is seeking out mentors in unusual places, right? Mm -hmm. not, not necessarily just talking to another HR professional, but you know, who, have you have you visited a nursing home lately and sought guidance and counsel from seniors you know, that have seen and experienced so many different things? Or have you observed how family members interact with other people? You know, what have been those, What you know, I, I always laugh at my husband and who's, whenever he goes to a grocery store and they have the self-checkout, he'll always be like, I don't work here. Why am I self-checkout? I'm not getting a check for, for, for checking myself out at the grocery store. Um, but, but just seeing how, how he handles that situation, and I just go back and I just don't breathe, right? There are ways to handle things and there are ways not to handle things. And so seeking out those unusual, you know, mentors and experiences and reaching out to people that, that you know, maybe someone, maybe someone doesn't think that they would have value, value to bring, but they've had so many different life experiences and being able to connect with people that have had those different experiences can shape the way that you work with others in your organization. I think that's 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 best put. And with that, um, uh, thank you, Jen, and thank you, Regina, for uh, being gracious with your time. And thank you for helping us understand um, the performance and learning landscape. And um, wishing you nothing but success in your journey. Uh, we, I can talk. I think we, we were also to our guests and uh, listeners and viewers. We, we were about to talk about equity and other like other topic as well. But it was so intense and so fun that maybe I'll I'll, I'll rope you again um, to to dig take a deeper dive on the on the other side of the hr issues with that but thank you so so much for your time and 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 thank you for spending your your insights with us thank you thanks for the opportunity yeah, thank you awesome. really appreciate it it's wonderful yeah. i was homesick never really knew that i would have to grow so quick